0: Happy Monday, one and all. This is Kevin McDonald, your host for New Mexico and Focus the podcast. I'm an executive producer here at New Mexico PBS, and we appreciate you as always taking us with you in the car, at the gym, wherever you listen to the podcast. We appreciate that support. Got a lot of great content to bring to you in this episode and encourage you to check out some of our past episodes. Uh, and most recent episodes did a lot of talk about. Wildfires after a crazy week last week, and we know it's only going to get worse this summer with the drought as it continues to linger on, and no real end in sight to the lack of precipitation in New Mexico. We got much more coming up for you in upcoming episodes of that as well. But for uh, this episode, I want to kick things off with our most recent line opinion panel. That was Tom Garrity of the Garrity Group PR, also regular and attorney Laura Sanchez, and Rebecca Latham, Girl Scouts of New Mexico. And we know the election season is basically here. No doubt you've already seen some of the ads. We just had reports on the latest fundraising period come through. We thought it was a good time to dive into all of that, not to mention the fact that uh, Democrats in a House committee. From Washington, D.C., we're recently in town to look at some of our election practices uh, and to sort of lift those up as a model for other places. So lots going on on the election front, namely those fundraising reports and how that ties into the race for governor, specifically the Republican primary race, to see who will come out on top to take on Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham in the midterm elections this November. So lots to dive into. Let's get right to it. Here's host Gene Grant.
1: We're just weeks away from the upcoming primary election. The big race is the Republican nomination for governor. Jay Block, Rebecca Dow, Mark Ronchetti, Greg Zanetti, and Ethel Mayharg are positioning themselves for the vote in June. Let's bring in our line of opinion panelists to discuss how things are shaping up. WE'LL GET TO THE PUBLIC FORUM LAST WEEK IN ALBUQUERQUE IN JUST A FEW MINUTES, BUT LET'S START WITH NEW FUNDRAISING TOTALS. FORMER WEATHERMAN MARK RONCHETTI HAS A WIDE LEAD OVER HIS REPUBLICAN OPPONENTS, RAISING MORE THAN $2 MILLION IN THE MOST RECENT REPORTING PERIOD. HE HAS MORE THAN A MILLION AND A HALF LEFT TO SPEND. THAT'S THE BIG DEAL THERE. Uh, LET ME START WITH LAURA, OUR POLITICO ON THE uh, PANEL TODAY. HOW MUCH OF AN ADVANTAGE IS THAT OVER OTHER GOP CONTENDERS? WE'LL GET TO THE NAMES IN A SECOND, BUT THAT'S A BIG OLD GAP TO HAVE ON HAND.
2: Sure, and I think that you know all things, all other things sort of, you know, set aside. Mm-hmm. The money race is a is a huge issue. Um, it, it does two things. It signals that you have the ability to raise money, so you've somehow been able to persuade a, a base of support mm-hmm. to invest in you. So I think that sends a signal not just to voters, but more so to other. POTENTIAL OTHER DONORS AS WELL AND SUPPORTERS. and SO YOU HAVE A RIPPLE EFFECT BOTH uh, IN STATE, LOCALLY, BUT ALSO NATIONALLY. AND SO IT SORT OF uh, HAS A DOMINO EFFECT WHEN YOU RAISE THAT MUCH MONEY. Mm -hmm. Um, THE OTHER ISSUE THOUGH AS WELL IS IT GIVES YOU JUST THE REALITY IS IT GIVES YOU A BIGGER, um, YOU KNOW, WAR CHEST TO BE ABLE TO USE FOR ADS. SO I EXPECT TO SEE A LOT MORE ADS IN THE COMING WEEKS. WE ALREADY HAVE SEEN um, AT LEAST I THINK THERE'S MAYBE ONE OR TWO OUT THERE FOR RONCHETTI BUT YOU'RE GOING TO WE'RE GOING TO EXPECT TO SEE A LOT MORE OF THOSE ADS SO WE SEE THE TRADITIONAL INTRODUCTORY ONE WHERE HE TALKS ABOUT HIMSELF HIS AGENDA AND THEN WE'LL SEE somewhere THERE'S OTHER PEOPLE SORT OF um, YOU KNOW ENDORSING HIM OR YOU KNOW SPEAKING FOR HIM AND TALKING ABOUT HIM BEING THE, the GREATEST THING SINCE sliced BREAD THAT KIND OF uh, AN AD AND THEN WE'RE PROBABLY GOING TO SEE SOME NEGATIVE ADS THERE'S GOING TO HAVE TO BE A WAY TO TO DIFFERENTIATE HIMSELF AND ATTACK SOME OF HIS OPPONENTS mm-hmm. um, SO FAR THEY'VE TAKEN AIM AT um, you know, the, the current incumbent Governor Luj- Michelle LUJAN Grisham, and also, of course, they're, they're doing what they can to get onto the national border problems kind of uh, mm-hmm. um, uh, thread. But there's still going to have to be a way to distinguish, so I'm going to expect to see some negative ads as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Tom, when you think about it, the um, Lord just mentioned candidates are also making a push on advertising and a wave of new ads that are recently coming out. ONE PARTICULARLY POLARIZING show: STATE REPRESENTATIVE REBECCA DOW AT THE SOUTHERN BORDER TALKING ABOUT BUILDING MR. TRUMP'S WALL. SHE'S CLEARLY TRYING TO PULL IN VOTERS FROM THE FAR RIGHT, BUT IT DOESN'T SORT OF MATCH WITH HER HISTORICAL IDEOLOGY. Uh, I THINK WE CAN ALL SEE WHAT THE MOVE IS HERE, BUT I'M CURIOUS YOUR OPINION, uh, WHETHER IT'S CHANCES FOR SUCCESS uh, ARE VIABLE.
3: WELL, um, SHORT ANSWER IS YES, IT IS VIABLE. Mm -hmm. Um, A LITTLE BIT MORE IN DEPTH ON THAT. Uh, you know, with the financial gap of uh, of Rebecca Dow, you know, raising seven hundred fifty thousand to Ron Keddie's two point one million, mm-hmm. um, she one of the very quickest ways to close that gap is with an endorsement from the Trump organization, if not the Donald himself. Mm-hmm. Um, that will be a benefit to her or to anyone who gets that particular endorsement uh, to get to the primary. But it will be the death nail. Uh, IN THE GENERAL ELECTION. Uh, Mm -hmm. AND SO IT'S REALLY KIND OF ONE OF THOSE CATCH-22s BECAUSE I THINK THE SUCCESSFUL REPUBLICAN CANDIDATE, WHETHER IT IS MR. Zanetti, MR. BLOCK um, OR MR. RONCHETTI OR MS. know, THEY'RE REALLY GOING TO NEED TO SHOW THAT THEY CAN BRING THE BASE WITHOUT GOING TOO FAR TO THE RIGHT. Mm -hmm. Uh, AND SO THEY HAVE TO REALLY MAINTAIN THAT MIDDLE GROUND AND A TRUMP ENDORSEMENT IS NOT GOING TO DO THAT. Mm -hmm. REBECCA, LAST POINT ON MONEY HERE.
1: I DON'T WANT TO LOSE THIS OUT. Uh, OUR SITTING GOVERNOR HAS 3.8 MILLION ON HAND RIGHT NOW. BUT AS A REMINDER, SHE SPENT 9.5 MILLION IN THAT 2018 VICTORY. THERE'S GOING TO BE A LOT OF MONEY THROWN AROUND IN THIS RACE, NO MATTER WHO THE REPUBLICANS uh, PUT UP. ARE WE IN A NEW TERRITORY HERE WHEN IT COMES TO, YOU KNOW, FINANCING,
4: (laughs) YOU KNOW, POLITICAL CAMPAIGNS HERE? HAVE WE TURNED A CORNER WE'RE NEVER GOING BACK ON? WELL, WE'VE, I MEAN, NATIONWIDE, STATES HAVE BEEN TALKING ABOUT AND LOCAL COMMUNITIES TALKING ABOUT HOW TO ADDRESS, uh, HOW TO ADDRESS CAMPAIGN FINANCING AND You know, I I I really am grateful for the process that um, requires candidates disclose where their donations are coming from because I think that speaks volumes. Mm-hmm. Um, it also is just a disgusting um, display of how much money is fueling political elections, and then it makes you question like, mm-hmm. why are why are these people in it? You know, is it really for the right reasons or is it all connected to mm-hmm. to money? UM IT it, it IS IT'S GOING TO BE IT'S GOING TO BE BIG I MEAN YOU SEE EVEN UM FROM ON THE NATIONAL SPECTRUM YOU SEE THE ATTENTION BEING GIVEN TO UH TO THE SOUTHERN PART OF NEW MEXICO IN THAT HOUSE RACE THERE'S GOING TO BE A LOT OF MONEY IN THAT RACE TOO UM UH TRYING TO UNSEE REPRESENTATIVE Harrell. SO Mm UH YES I THINK WE'VE WE'VE uh, TURNED A CORNER I DO THINK IT I, I THINK IT DOES SPEAK VOLUMES uh, OF THAT, THAT RONCHETTI HAS OUTRAISED um, the, other, THE OTHER CONTENDERS IN THE REPUBLICAN PARTY. Um, HE'S CLEARLY NOT, LIKE HE'S NOT THE FAVORITE FOR THE PARTY, BUT MAYBE THAT'S WHAT THE PARTY NEEDS. Mm-hmm. INTERESTING POINT THERE. Um, TOM, BACK TO THAT FORUM
1: LAST WEEK, I MENTIONED THE SETUP IN FRONT OF 275 VOTERS IN ALBUQUERQUE. EACH CANDIDATE SHARED THEIR PLATFORMS, AND PERHAPS THE MOST SPECIFIC WAS ETHEL MAYHARG. SHE'S a FORMER MAYOR OF CUBA. SHE'S RUNNING ON AN ANTI-ABORTION AGENDA, AND ABORTION IS ALSO A KEY ISSUE, OF COURSE, FOR THE RACE FOR REPUBLICAN YVETTE Harrell's NEWLY DRAWN SECOND CONGRESSIONAL DISTRICT JUST MENTIONED. DOES THIS ISSUE FAVOR EITHER PARTY HERE IN NEW MEXICO? ABORTION CAN SOMETIMES BE A BIG ONE, DEPENDING.
3: YEAH, IT'S uh, it is DEFINITELY VIEWED AS, uh, YOU KNOW, AMONGST REPUBLICAN CIRCLES AS uh, SOMETHING THAT IS, you know, uh, YOU KNOW, WILL BRING PEOPLE TOGETHER. Uh, AROUND A PARTICULAR CANDIDATE, mm-hmm. um, YOU KNOW, REPRODUCTIVE, uh, YOU KNOW, CHOICE IS, YOU KNOW, AS FAR AS REPRODUCTIVE HEALTH, RATHER, IS SOMETHING THAT is, WILL MOTIVATE THE BASES ON BOTH SIDES. Right. Uh, THE QUESTION IS, is when, WHEN YOU GET DOWN TO THE ABORTION RIGHTS ISSUE, IT'S REALLY MORE OF AN ISSUE IN THIS PARTICULAR POLITICAL ENVIRONMENT OF THE JUDICIARY. AND THE SELECTION of the, co- OF THE COVETED SUPREME COURT NOMINEES. I KNOW THAT PLAYS MORE INTO THE ROLE OF EVETTE Herald mm-hmm. uh, AND uh, the, THE SECOND CONGRESSIONAL DISTRICT. BUT, YOU KNOW, REALLY THAT'S, YOU KNOW, FOR A CANDIDATE WHO WANTS TO, YOU KNOW, USE THAT AS A PLATFORM, ABORTION, AND TO BE SUCCESSFUL IN THE GENERAL ELECTION, um, I THINK THAT A GOOD WAY TO WEDGE THAT OR TO MOVE IT OVER IS TO FOCUS ON THE JUDICIARY ASPECT. Because it is something that will motivate a base, but it's something that will uh, will you know be a wedge issue in the general election. Mm-hmm. Good point there too. During the forum, by the way, Laura, uh,
1: all the Republican candidates said they supported photo ID requirements for voting, and that was while Congress was in New Mexico to study the unique access our electoral system provides and getting lauded for it up and down. Uh, do New Mexicans want more requirements at the polls? or, or are we settled with this idea of, you know, voter ID and all that, because we've been going through that for a long time here.
2: Well, I'm not surprised to see that all of the candidates for governor on the Republican side would support that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's definitely um, has no one's has, not going
1: to su- not support it, in other words, <laughs> right?
2: right? Not in the Republican primary. Right. I mean, this is, you know, it's an example of both both parties do this. During the primary, they play to their base, they mm-hmm. go to the extremes. Mm-hmm. And then during the general, they have to run back to the middle to try to get, you know, independence and crossover votes in order to win. So it's, you know, you see it on both sides. So I'm not surprised, but I don't think it's a settled issue. I think the vast majority of people, well, first of all, we're a Democrat-leaning state, and then we have a lot of independents who also will swing an election. And many of them don't feel like we need more restrictions um, in terms of photo IDs at the polls. So it's it's one of those weird New Mexican like our weather where we're kind of schizophrenic about stuff um, in any given day. SO yeah. I THINK THAT'S A BIG ISSUE. BUT I WILL SAY, YOU KNOW, WHAT'S INTERESTING TO ME NOW WITH um, THE NEW CONGRESSIONAL LINES, WE ALWAYS CALL IT THE SOUTHERN DISTRICT, RIGHT, AND THE NORTHERN DISTRICT. I'M ON THE WEST SIDE OF ALBUQUERQUE AND I'M NOW PART OF THAT CONGRESSIONAL DISTRICT TOO. SO THERE'S A FAIR AMOUNT OF, um, of ALBUQUERQUE uh, PRECINCTS THAT ARE NOW PART OF THAT DISTRICT. Mm-hmm. SO WHETHER IT'S, uh, YOU KNOW, WHAT KIND OF EFFECT THAT WILL HAVE, um, I'M NOT SURE. BUT I THINK WE'RE GOING TO END UP SEEING A DIFFERENT KIND OF TURNOUT FOR THAT DISTRICT um, BY DESIGN, <laughs> PROBABLY, right. uh, in, IN THE GENERAL AT LEAST.
1: THAT'S GOING TO BE FASCINATING. THAT IS at, NO QUESTION ABOUT IT. HEY, TOM, A COUPLE MORE HITS I WANT TO GET ON. THE GOP IS CERTAINLY THE PARTY TO WATCH THIS primary. THERE'S SO MUCH ACTION. BUT SIGNS OF POTENTIAL RIFT BETWEEN DEMOCRATS in SANTA FE. WE'VE HEARD REPORTS OF BITTERNESS LINGERING OVER THE GOVERNOR'S VETO OVER THAT $50 MILLION SUPPLEMENTAL BUDGET BILL. Uh, NOW THERE'S NEW LAWSUIT FROM STATE SENATOR JACOB Candelaria AGAINST SENATE PRO TEM MIMI STEWART alleging retaliation over a workplace discrimination investigation what where does this leave Democrats in in November or even before?
3: well it makes for a lot of interesting conversation yes. I will say that <laughs> uh, I mean uh, you know how it impacts the races it doesn't impact I think it's just more of the I, as serious as the allegations are and mm-hmm. the issues are um, I would say that it's it's really more of just you know hey did you hear about this did you hear about that? Um, I think what will be interesting uh, as far as one of the races to watch will be the uh, uh, the attorney general race, uh, I believe, with the uh, with Brian Colon and then also with um, the Albuquerque. With the Torres. Yep. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that I think will be one of the key Democrat races that I'm going to be watching just because that's where you'll kind of see a modern day clash of the titans. It, that will be a fun race. But I don't think any of the 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 other issues that are surfacing right now will actually impact that unless either one of them are somehow involved with which mm-hmm. I haven't heard. Good point, there, so Rebecca. Any bounce for
1: Democrats? I mean, you know, are we over that baby budget fifty million dollar kerfuffle? Are we past all that at this point?
4: I don't think they're. I don't think they're past it. Yeah. I think uh, there's. St- I mean, they brought it up in the special too, mm-hmm. um, and and I, I think we do. We do see more evidence of um, dissension among the ranks. You know that there is no. No real, like we're all on the same page, singing from the same sheet of music. You know, you've got your more progressive Democrats, and then your your more right. traditional uh, yeah. uh, Democrats, and um, and uh, it's uh, it, it. We've seen how the, you know they they started to divide a few years ago in order to tackle some legislative races and and get out some of the um, the long seated Republicans mm-hmm. with more progressive members of the Democratic Party. So, um, it, it, like, maybe a beast has been created, and and they they might just need to stay divided in order to um, to see how this shakes out. Mm-hmm.
1: Laura, do you want to? Do, you got twenty seconds on where Democrats are. I'd be perfectly willing to give you a shot here if you got anything you want to.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's a loaded question, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I don't have a crystal ball. Stay away but from any G's race. race. <laughs> yeah, well. Don't don't get me started on the AG's race. <laughs> okay, um, but that aside, I I do you know it's it's unfortunate because I I'm a big fan of the Senate. Yep. I mean, I still have a a place in my heart for the Senate over the House. I think it's the upper house of any of any governing body. It's the you know there's much more decorum, mm-hmm. and I feel like there is much less in this group of folks. There's so much mudslinging among senators. Yeah. Um, I really miss kind of what you know the the level of of respect that they used to have. I just feel like there's been so much um, turmoil recently. Um, and it makes me very sad. And I think a lot of people look at that, and you know, unfortunately, I look at, at that and I now I'm thinking, you know, the house seems to be have it a lot better in some ways, have their have their stuff together a little bit more. And that yeah. just makes me very sad. So I don't know what's gonna happen, but I, I think what we're gonna continue to see this riff until. People start to um, get unseated, whether it's one side, you know, the progressives or versus the other, more moderate Democrats, right. either side. Until we get more people in those ranks, we're going to continue to see this.
1: Someone has to win something, as they say in politics, in order for that change to happen. Uh, thank you all. We'll be watching the political landscape closely in the coming weeks. One of the key voting blocks in June and November will be the Latino electorate. Earlier this week, correspondent Russell Contreras spoke with an expert on voting trends to find out how the political strategies we're seeing could play out in those communities.
0: And of course, all eyes are on the midterm elections this coming November. Lots of things in sway on the national level in terms of control of House and Senate as it seems like it always is. Uh, And as we know, oftentimes the midterms can swing back from whatever the prevailing winner was in the election two years prior, uh, so a lot at stake there, and there are a lot of folks who spend a lot of time looking at why people vote the way they do, why candidates campaign the way they do, and how that campaign, those campaign efforts impact the voting electorate. And one of the really interesting portions of that electorate is the Latinx community, and our correspondent Russell Contreras recently sat down with. Uh, expert in this area, done a lot of research, particularly on what happened with the Latinx electorate during the 2020 campaign and what that may mean for the 2022 midterms. Her name is Stephanie Valencia, and we're going to introduce you to her here through Russell Contreras, find out about this research and work she has done. Love to know what you think about the midterm elections and how this all may play out here in New Mexico. But here now, Russell Contreras.
5: Stephanie Valencia, thank you for joining us today.
6: Thank you so much for having me.
5: Before we get into the 2022 midterms, let's talk about the 2020 election. Uh, We knew that more Latinos voted for Trump than expected, despite his history of making racist statements and anti-Latino remarks.
6: What happened? So there are quite a few number of things that we believe happened. The first is Latinos are the fastest growing part of the population and the electorate. Yet 50% of Latinos stayed on the sidelines in 2020 despite record turnout across the country. And we saw the largest swing of any other group toward Trump among Latinos. So the question is why? There are a number of different reasons we believe. One of the primary reasons really comes down to how Latinos were experiencing covid and the economic shutdown we know that Latinos are um, very much uh, overpopulated in the um, emergency services and essential worker workforce um, and so whether you are working at a hospital as a caregiver or whether you are doing providing some other essential service like at a restaurant Latinos were disproportionately affected by those economic impacts also as small business owners so the way that Latinos were looking at and even to this day as we think about the election in 2020 or 2022, really how they experienced the economic shutdown from COVID, how that relates to their political views and ultimately how they thought Trump was handling the economy at the time. Um, if you also think about it, in 2016 and in 2018, we were largely talking about immigration. Immigration was a central character in the 2016 and 2018 elections. In 2016, Trump started his campaign by talking and uh, you know targeting Latinos as, and Mexicans as rapists and murderers. And a lot of his campaign rhetoric revolved around othering and uh, targeting Latinos uh, as, um, as, you know, uh, as, you know it, rapists and murderers. Then you go to 2018 and the 2018 midterms, that was the height of the family separation crisis. So families being separated at the border were really coloring and clouding the way that voters were looking at how we handled immigration in this country and really how to, lo- how to look at Trump and Republicans. And so shift to 2020, here we had been in the pandemic for almost a year. Thank sure. you and people were experiencing real pains in their families and their businesses. And so we weren't talking about immigration and not talking about immigration at that point and really kind of just experiencing the election in that moment in the election through the lens of how people were experiencing COVID and the COVID-related economic shutdown was a primary reason we believe that Latinos moved to Trump. That coupled with what we call uncontested communication and disinformation. We know that there's kind of a blend blend of outright disinformation about COVID and about the election and the election results and things related to misleading people about where to go vote and how to vote and things about the election. And then there's outright kind of propaganda that we call uncontested communication where Republicans were communicating and the Trump campaign was communicating very effectively with Latino voters, particularly around messages around the economy that really pulled them to their side.
5: Just talk about that little inf- misinformation. He played a crucial role in targeting Latinos. We saw the Jorge Masfadal, the MMA mm-hmm. fighter, put out one of the most popular videos ever on YouTube. And he basically was making fun of Joe Biden dancing to um, a, a, re- a reggaeton song, um, Despacito. Why was this voting block so targeted with misinformation?
6: So again, I want to distinguish there's a very blurry and fine line between what we call uncontested communication and political propaganda, which I would put the Jorge Masvidal video in, and outright disinformation. Disinformation is purposefully trying to mislead and present lies, whether it's about that COVID is, the COVID vaccine is putting a microchip in your body or that Bill Gates is gonna own all of us because if we get the COVID vaccine, um, that is outright disinformation. There is like fact behind that not being true. You know, Jorge Masvidal making fun of Joe Biden or quite frankly, in that same video, which was one of the most popular videos that the Trump campaign released in his entire campaign, not just targeting Latinos, but in the entire campaign, he posted that video on the YouTube masthead the two days before the election, and again, got you know millions and millions of views, it was really about targeting Latinos to say Democrats were taking you for granted. Why, and one of my favorite lines from that video that I think resonated with a lot of Latinos is, why would you change the quarterback when you're winning Super Bowls? And so again, that notion of the economy was doing well, Trump was handling the economy well, he was trying to, um, trying to reopen the economy during COVID, many Latinos related to that. And there was a, there was a lot about um, kind of this image of who Trump was to Latinos in a lot of regard related to his um, economic kind of success that I think is also something we have to better understand whether it was unique to him or whether that's something that will be kind of transferred to other Republican and conservative candidates in the future.
5: So the question is why didn't Democrats thwart this misinformation? What did they do? Why, why did they fail?
6: Well, I think there's um, an asymmetry in how Republicans and Democrats are thinking about reaching voters generally, but specifically Latino voters. So, for example, I will say uh, in South Florida, where there is kind of an uh, Example number one of creating a disinformation and uncontested ecosystem of communication um, is South Florida. Republicans and conservatives own a number of different radio stations in South Florida. For example, um, Democrats spent $15 million in the last 30 days of the election in 2020 in the South Florida media market alone, paid media. So that's radio and television, not just targeting Latinos, but just to uh, illustrate this point. In April of this past year, conservative aligned forces bought a radio station in that same media market for $350,000. So Republicans and conservatives are thinking about building networks of communication to communicate with Latinos year round. Um, And Democrats are still buying paid media that I guarantee no Latino in South Florida today remembers any one of those ads in the last 30 days of the election that uh, uh, Democrats bought. Then there's also things like the Libra initiative that are, you know, here in New Mexico, very. Um very uh, uh, in communities across the state um, that are in communities year round, communicating a message around economic prosperity, around small business, around a number of other issues related to conservative values. So there, uh, and then the last thing I would just say, you know, the Trump campaign, despite his kind of terrible messaging targeting Latinos in 2016 and 2018, really probably invested the most amount of money and resources to reach, communicate, and persuade Latinos than any other presidential candidate in history. When you think about how they were reaching uh, Latinos through YouTube like the Jorge Masvidal video um, to any number of other strategies they were using they made a real effort and we saw that effort pay off for them.
5: Moving on to the midterms, uh, Republicans here in New Mexico are running the highest number of of Hispanic candidates for state house seats for state legislator spots than any time in their history. Um, South Texas we're seeing a move more to the Republicans, this is a traditional Democratic area. Are we seeing a shift in strongly historic Democratic areas, and why?
6: Well, I think what we're seeing, and New Mexico has always been kind of a bellwether and battleground for this to play itself out here first, is we know New Mexico was kind of one of the first states in the country that was predominantly Hispanic, besides California, there was a real battleground state that moved to being blue. Then we saw the rest of the West kind of follow suit. And I think what will be interesting to see here again is um, there are a number of policies that I would argue are kind of more democratic and progressive. Take education policy or um, healthcare policy, or even some of the things that um, Joe Biden and the Biden administration have done on small businesses and growing small businesses that are very democratic and progressive in nature. The question is, will Democrats and progressives go and communicate that message to Hispanic voters in the state? And as you can see, by recruiting a number of other Hispanic candidates on the Republican side, issues that have been traditionally seen more conservative, such as business issues or um, other kind of issues that are more socially conservative, say, you know, abortion or other issues like that. Latinos tend to be kind of more in the middle on some of those issues than I think people tend to believe. And what we've seen as a national trend, and I would say is probably very true here in New Mexico, is Hispanic voters don't necessarily want to be cast to either party. Like you have, you know, polls on both sides who are hard conservatives and hard kind of Democrats and progressives. BUT THE lion's SHARE OF LATINO VOTERS AND HISPANIC VOTERS IN THIS STATE AND ACROSS THE COUNTRY KIND OF COUNT THEMSELVES IN THE MIDDLE. AND SO IT'S INTERESTING THAT BOTH PARTIES WILL HAVE LIKE AND AS I ALWAYS LIKE TO SAY LATINOS ARE THE LAST GREAT WILD CARD IN THE electorate BECAUSE THEY ARE TRULY THAT LAST PERSUADABLE SWING VOTER BECAUSE THEY DON'T SEE THEMSELVES AS HARD PARTISANS. THEY TRULY SEE THEMSELVES AS INDEPENDENTS AND IN THE MIDDLE.
5: WE HAVE HERE A GOVERNOR'S RACE uh, TO CHALLENGE DEMOCRATIC GOVERNOR MICHELLE LUJAN GRISHAM there's a number of republican candidates one particular candidate gop candidate rebecca dow known as a moderate in the state house but she just released a video where some critics are calling racist. she on, she's on the border she's talking about radical socialists crossing over i don't know in sunland park or somewhere and she vows to build a wall now this tactic has not worked in places like new mexico and nevada in the past because these are large new mexico's the most uh, state with the most hispanic residents will this work this time in this climate this anti-immigrant um i am here for a strong border security tactic Will that work in the state this time
6: it's really interesting both again nationally and then again specifically to new mexico what you see among hispanic voters is a desire for a very balanced approach to handling the border and handling realistic immigration reform policy Um, you know, the two or three things that we have seen pull very poorly among Hispanic voters, um, writ large are the wall and separating families. Um, so those two Trump era, era policies, especially the what people see as just like a massively terrible use of resources. Um, and so, again, I would put Hispanic voters in a very practical framework on the issue of immigration, which means they want to see that the border is managed well and is secure. And we have to acknowledge that, you know, obviously, given the role that New Mexico plays in the border communities, there is important economic work that needs to happen, you know, in in having goods and people move back and forth across the border, but there needs to be a measure of what security is um, for the border. That being said, uh, Hispanic voters also want to see fair treatment of the 10 to 12 million people who are already in this country without documentation, and see that they are treated fairly, and there is a process for them, and that there is a process for moving forward and how. Um, people who are coming across the border in the future or desiring to come to this country, that there is a fair way to treat them and give them an opportunity to come here. Um, So what I would say is in that case, it will be interesting to see how that plays out. Obviously that may help her turn out her uh, hardcore Republican and conservative base to get through the primary. But the question will be when she gets to the general, the broader electorate is probably not really aligned in, in, in that regard.
5: Last 20 seconds. What do you want to see in this primary? What are you looking for?
6: Well, what I'm really looking for is to see, one, how Hispanic voters, what their top issues are in this election. I think the economy, inflation, price control, um, people getting back to work, um, people being able to hire workers, those are all really important lenses to see how Hispanic voters are going to be treating and who they feel like can better handle the economy and can better handle kind of the economic reopening kind of moving forward. Um, the other piece is where we see Hispanic men. Um, in a lot of our polling in 2020, we did see a lot of shifts among Hispanic men overall. I am eager to see where those numbers are shifting in New Mexico. As I said in the beginning, and I'll end with this, is that New Mexico has always been a bellwether. So goes New Mexico, so goes the rest of the West many years later. And so um, what is happening in New Mexico could be very much a predictor for what may happen in the rest of the Southwest uh, in the future.
5: Stephanie Valencia, co-founder of Equis, thank you for joining us.
6: Thank you so much.
0: All right, enough election talk for a while, but no doubt we'll be right back into that real soon here on the show as we head towards the June primary election. Right now we're going to have back to the line opinion panel for a vastly different topic. You may have seen in the Albuquerque, uh, the mayor's proposed budget for the city of Albuquerque. There are plans for a new way to approach uh, the unhoused or homeless community in the city. Of course, longstanding issue, the Gateway Center is something that is being built out to be a one-stop shop for all kinds of services and resources for a homeless community. We have had the small home village uh, that was an attempt to deal with sort of uh, mid-level housing or transition housing for the homeless. Now it appears as if this budget would indicate a new approach, which is basically to have established encampments uh, for the unhoused community, Right now, these already exist, but in a loose, sort of an organic matter, and this would make this a more formal setup, Uh, and it's an approach that's been used in other places, but is also fraught with a lot of complications, how you enforce people staying within the encampments, all of these sorts of things. So we want to know what the line opinion panel thinks about this idea and whether or not it can work. Know that there's going to be a lot of discussion uh, within city council and with the mayor, Moving forward, but just some initial reactions and thoughts on this approach. So here once again, host Gene Grant and the Line Opinion Panel.
1: Welcome back once more to our Line Opinion Panelists. Our final topic this week is a proposal included in Albuquerque Mayor Tim Keller's budget plan. It calls for designated homeless encampments in the city. ESSENTIALLY CONSOLIDATING THE SMALLER GATHERING SPOTS THAT ARE SPREAD ACROSS. RIGHT NOW YOU SEE THEM ALL RIGHT OFF THE HIGHWAY. THE MAYOR'S OFFICE HOPES IT WILL MAKE THE CITY SAFER, MAKE IT EASIER TO GET RESOURCES TO THE HOMELESS COMMUNITY. AND TELL ME, START WITH THIS, IS THIS A FEASIBLE SOLUTION TO THE HOMELESS ISSUE IN THE CITY? IT'S it's NOT A NEW IDEA, BUT AGAIN IN ALBUQUERQUE SOMETIMES OUTSIDE IDEAS DON'T WORK SO WELL. WHAT DO YOU THINK ABOUT THIS ONE?
3: WELL, YOU KNOW, THIS IS THE ONE ISSUE THAT WILL Continue to define Albuquerque Mm -hmm. uh, because it is the first thing that a lot of folks see on their way to work. It's the first thing tourists see. It's what will keep businesses from relocating to the to the Albuquerque area. So, you know, I think um, you know, let's give it a shot. I, I I kind of like the idea of it, and I like also. Uh, AND I KNOW IT'S ON THE LIST OF THINGS WE MIGHT POTENTIALLY TALK ABOUT HOW THIS uh, HOPE VILLAGE mm-hmm. uh, IS, uh, YOU KNOW, BECAUSE I THINK YOU NEED TO HAVE A PUBLIC AND A PRIVATE SOLUTION. GO, go AHEAD AND SPEAK uh, TO if you, if the you'd city. Like to. Mm-hmm. WHAT'S THAT? GO AHEAD AND SPEAK TO HOPE VILLAGE IF YOU'D LIKE TO, IF YOU WANT TO BRING THAT IN. YEAH. SO, YOU KNOW, ONE OF THE ITEMS THAT WAS uh, SENT OVER LATE IN THE DAY WAS ON HOPE VILLAGE, WHICH yeah. IS ACTUALLY a, a NONPROFIT THAT BRINGS IN SERVICES. IT'S, it's FUNDED BY A VARIETY OF DIFFERENT, uh, YOU KNOW, THE MORTGAGE FINANCE AUTHORITY. Uh, you also have a lot of different nonprofit organizations that are creating services. It's a it's infrastructure, brick and mortar, mm-hmm. uh, and it serves uh, you know homeless populations. And, you know, it's really, in a way, I think the mini version of what the Gateway Center is hoped to be someday. It just because it was motivated by what I would consider to be private sector interests. It got done a lot quicker than what we are seen happen or not happen out at Gateway Center. So mm-hmm. overall, you know, what the mayor proposed in his, uh, in his approach of, you know, of funding all of this, I really like it. You know, and, you know, there's so much about this that a lot of us just don't know all the behind the scenes stuff that's taking place and it's not a perfect system and I'm not Mm -hmm. being an apologist for the effort so far because I think that there's a lot of shortcomings but I also know that there's a lot of stuff that I don't know about that's happening behind the scenes to address and to fix this issue Mm -hmm. it's government so it's not going to be perfect it's it's you know so but overall, to answer your question, Gene, my apologies for going off on a rant there. Um, I, I do like it. I think that the mayor's proposal is is worth considering and um, yeah, worth a shot in addition to a lot of other items from the private sector. Gotcha. Hey, Laura, these empty lots, these dirt lots will accommodate about
1: 40 people, also porta potties, all kinds of other services. You know, the city of Santa Fe is considering a similar plan. And we just talked on this show t- uh, two or three years ago that Las Cruces has already done it. The executive director of La Mesilla Community of Hope says it's been largely successful down there so far, with fewer complaints from businesses about loiterers. That's a big deal here in Albuquerque. Is, is this a problem the same in each of these cities? Can make this work in Albuquerque?
2: You know, this is a tough one for me, mainly you because know. of the optics of the term encampment. I mean, to me, the word encampment. Uh, you know, we have a we have a terrible record or a terrible history here in New Mexico, even. Uh, as far as Japanese internment camps, mm-hmm. right during World War II. and and to me the term encampment means like rounding people up. The government rounds people up and puts them in a designated spot. It's very uh, well. District that's nine, going nine. to happen.
1: That's exactly what you're. Yeah, it's going to happen. exactly. So mm-hmm. It's very
2: district nine. If anybody knows that um, <laughs> that movie, um, mm-hmm. but it you know I don't I don't like that term and I think we have to rethink how they're referring to these uh, this idea, but. That being said, you know we know that there's uh, uh, there there's problems with homelessness in Albuquerque. There's no way around that. It's right. a reality that hits you in the face anytime you pass Coronado Park on Second and I-40. Basically, you can see that it's a serious problem. And there is a fair amount of that population that just simply does is not ready to be in a home in a structure right. or walls. So I think some kind of transitional housing makes sense. But how that's going to be set up and where it's going to be designated is is a huge deal for um, business owners for residents. Um, and just for in terms of basic human rights, I mean, mm-hmm. again, keeping people in a designated area—like, how do you enforce that? And what are the measures that are going to be used? Because that could be just—you know—there could be all kinds of problems mm-hmm. um, in enforcement and uh, and and you know law enforcement contacts and other things. So I'm concerned about that.
1: A lot of resources you're going to need for sure, Rebecca. You know, interestingly, uh, the city of Albuquerque with THE mayor says it's planning on holding public forums to discuss this issue. AND THIS IS WHAT REALLY INTERESTS ME BECAUSE I'M TELLING YOU RIGHT NOW THIS IS GOING TO BE A HECK heck OF A SALES JOB BY THIS MAYOR. I'M REALLY CURIOUS IF HE'S GOING TO PUT HIS FACE AT THE FRONT OF IT OR SOME DESIGNATED CITY dweeb, YOU KNOW, OR IS IT GOING TO BE HIS IDEA BECAUSE WHERE THESE THINGS ARE GOING TO BE LOCATED IS GOING TO BE A HUGE ISSUE FOR PEOPLE. Uh, HOW DO YOU THINK THAT'S GOING TO GO, GOING TO PUBLIC FORUMS
4: AND THE LIKE? IS THAT THE BEST WAY TO GO HERE? IT WAS, was, I THINK PUBLIC FORUMS ARE THE ONLY WAY TO GO, Mm. Um, BUT you know, I, I think um, you, we've seen uh, Elizabeth Olguin, Dr. Elizabeth Olguin, who is the deputy director with the city, who oversees some of these projects. Mm-hmm. Like we've seen her speaking publicly about this. One of the things that, that I didn't, I, I, I don't know if it's if people recognize that this is that this is a bipartisan measure. I've heard right. Councillor BASSAN speaking about this uh, a couple times before too, and so now it's uh, picking up steam with the mayor and his face uh, um, putting it together. I think there's kind of one thing that we're all gonna to have to realize is that there's kind of this hierarchy of of solutions, right? There's the Gateway Center, which is Utopia, which you know uh is is gonna be like that's where we all want to be. There's tiny houses which um which uh, Commissioner O'Malley said this this week, that maybe, you know, like this, this didn't work out like I thought it was going to, it needs right. more work. There's the safe outdoor spaces, which is where these uh the encampments are. You know, that, that's um what they're talking about, like Camp Hope in Las Cruces. Mm-hmm. And then there's also something that the land use planning committee actually uh um uh discussed and approved and will take to council the idea of converting old motels uh right. into Um, some rapid rehousing or rapid temporary housing uh, solutions. WHAT THE PUBLIC WANTS AND and WHAT THEY EXPECT AFTER VOTING YEARS AGO uh, TO FUND THE GATEWAY CENTER IS THAT THEY EXPECT THE GATEWAY CENTER, LIKE RIGHT NOW, LIKE THAT'S WHAT WE WANT RIGHT NOW, THE PUBLIC EXPECTS THAT TOMORROW THERE WILL BE NO MORE HOMELESS PROBLEM IN ALBUQUERQUE AND IT'S NOT REALISTIC, SO I THINK IT'S REALLY GOING TO BE IMPORTANT FOR THE MAYOR TO STRESS THAT THIS IS NOT THE FINAL FIX, THIS IS STEP ONE, WE CAN'T GO FROM ZERO TO GATEWAY CENTER, WE HAVE TO GO FROM ZERO TO SOMETHING Mm -hmm. SO THAT WE CAN IDENTIFY the, THE SUBGROUP OF THAT POPULATION WHO IS experiencing. Experiencing HOMELESSNESS, THE ONES WHO WANT TO GET HELP, LIKE LAURA MENTIONED, NOT EVERY SINGLE PERSON IS READY TO ACCEPT ASSISTANCE, right. SO it's a mul- THIS IS GOING TO HAVE TO BE A MULTI pronged THING, BUT THERE ARE PEOPLE WHO DO NEED HELP AND CANNOT GET TO HELP BECAUSE IT'S A DANGEROUS ENVIRONMENT THAT THEY'RE LIVING IN. SO HAVING SOME MORE OPTIONS FOR THEM, STEP ONE, JUST IDENTIFY THAT GROUP, GET THEM SERVICES, GET THEM HELP, AND THEN WE CAN MOVE ON TO STEP TWO. GOOD
1: POINTS THERE. Uh, LAURA, INTERESTING HEADLINE IN THE JOURNAL IN EARLY MARCH, QUOTE, LIBERAL U.S. CITIES change COURSE, NOW CLEARING HOMELESS CAMPS, END QUOTE. AND I REMIND YOU, THE MAYOR OF PORTLAND RAN ON THE ISSUE OF ENCAMPMENTS. The mayor of San Francisco is laying out all kinds of tough language about homeless there too. What is going on here? There's been some flip about how we sort of view the homeless and, and, you know, we're we're sort of past the sweeping encampments out and taking all their stuff and all their shopping carts and throw it away. But we've entered some kind of new territory here where politicians are bending to the will of the public. Am I right on this, about clearing homeless folks out of high-profile areas?
2: WELL I YOU KNOW THIS IS NOT A NEW APPROACH I MEAN Mm -hmm. I THINK LA DID THIS WHEN THEY WHEN THEY ESTABLISHED SKID ROW HOWEVER LONG AGO BY MOVING PEOPLE INTO A SPECIFIC AREA KIND OF OUTSIDE THE VIEW OF FOLKS IN YOU KNOW THE 310 AREA CODE THE Mm -hmm. WEST SIDE OF LA SO THIS THIS HAPPENS IN EVERY CITY BUT I THINK WHAT WE'RE SEEING THAT'S NEW HERE IS EXACTLY WHAT YOU READ IN THE HEADLINE WHICH IS THAT PERCEIVED YOU KNOW LIBERAL COMMUNITIES ARE NOW SEEING THAT THIS IS THIS IS NOT OKAY BECAUSE IT'S AFFECTING THEIR ABILITY TO ATTRACT um, tourists to increase uh, revenue for their um, local businesses. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, a a nexus with mental health there as well as crime. And so I think we're seeing people um, kind of not, uh, you know, not take the traditional approach of um, well, just the. I mean, I don't know what the approach has been, but it it obviously has been just leave the encampments or the camps that right. get set up by the homeless, leave them be. And I just don't think that's realistic anymore. People are not, voters are not okay with that. Yep. But back to your kind of comment earlier about the about Albuquerque and the mayor's office and the DCD, mm-hmm. the designated city dweeb. Um, I think that the mayor has to be the one to uh, put his face on the on the campaign. I agree. I don't think doing a DCD is going to work um, this time around. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's going to have to be the one that provides the leadership. Um, BECAUSE THIS IS A BROAD SWEEPING CHANGE THAT NEEDS TO OCCUR TO ADDRESS THIS.
1: AND THE OTHER IDEA THAT IT'S UNDER A MILLION DOLLARS IN BUDGET. WE'LL SEE HOW THAT GOES. ALL RIGHT. THANKS AGAIN TO THE LINE PANEL, AS ALWAYS, THIS WEEK. NOW, BE SURE TO LET US KNOW WHAT YOU THINK ABOUT ANY OF THE TOPICS THE LINE COVERED ON OUR FACEBOOK, TWITTER, OR INSTAGRAM PAGES.
0: That's all for this episode of New Mexico and Focus, the podcast. We appreciate you, as always, for listening. Also want to send out my appreciation to the entire team here at New Mexico PBS for all of their hard work in making this happen each and every week. Also want to remind you, a new episode of Growing Forward is out. That is our podcast all about cannabis in New Mexico, and it's been a busy month with the start of legal recreational use sales diving back in on the testing front, which has been in the headlines, and also been top of mind with recreational sales, because all of that recreational use cannabis has to be tested and approved before it can hit the open market, and the same is true, has been true for medical cannabis as well. Our co-host for that, Andy Lyman, with our partners at New Mexico Political Report, and Megan Kamrick, a correspondent here and news director over at KUNM Radio. So make sure you subscribe for that podcast so that it's there. Wherever you get your podcasts, you'll find it. And be sure to follow us throughout the week here on New Mexico in Focus on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram. Just search for New Mexico in Focus. We'd love to hear from you. Let us know what you're seeing and hearing and what we should be talking about in upcoming episodes. Until then, have an outstanding week. Thanks so much for tuning in once again. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy.